Desperation comes in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's just a quiet, Lord, I'm desperate for you. Sometimes it's a a fist-clenched, white-knuckled type of prayer because we're in such desperation. Probably depends on the situation and the intensity of it. Open your Bible, if you will, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to look at the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. I'm not going to give any context for what happened here in John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. There's a reason why. Um, What I want to do is read it, and then we're going to talk about it just a little bit. John chapter 7, verse 53, says this, Everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, And all the people came to him, and he sat and taught them, sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they and when they had uh, set her in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act." Now Moses in the law commanded us that should uh, that should be commanded us that should. Such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, saw that no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. You probably have in your Bible, and I checked the pew Bibles that are in front of you, you probably have in your Bible a bracket that says something like this. The earliest manuscripts do not include John chapter 7 verse 53 through 8 chapter 11 which is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Other translations, not the ones that, not the primary ones that we use, like the King James Version or the New King James Version or the New American Standard or the NIV or the ESV, some of the ones that are more practical today, more used. Others um, put this particular passage after chapter 7, verse 36, some after chapter 21, verse 25, and there are some that even included in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 38 and following. And so this is what's considered a, um, a contemplated passage. Um, I want to say something about that. We find it in John chapter 7, uh, verse 50, 53 and following. Uh, and it's here. And in all of the translations that I just mentioned, we would find it as well, likely with that kind of an inscription. And then I wanted to mention to you as well that sometimes you might find in your Bible, and you've seen this, a letter or a number, 
and it makes reference to something in the footnotes or sometimes over in the side. And it might be that you don't have that in brackets, but if you trace that number or letter down, um, that's the communication that's given there. <clears throat> Let me read from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And so what John is saying is John chapter 1 through John chapter 20, Jesus did many miracles and these uh, that were not recorded in those 20 chapters. Uh, Jesus truly did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The reason John said that he wrote his gospel, including the things that he included about the life of Jesus, is so that we could know the Jesus he was presenting, knowing him, believe in him, and have life in his name. But he said there were many other things that Jesus did, many other miracles that weren't included. So while they were true, they weren't inspired scripture. Um, the ones that were included were inspired scripture. Also in John chapter 21, verse 25, listen to this. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus did so much incredible things that of all of the things that were included, those are Holy Scripture, um, but he did so much that John says, I don't even think the whole world could, could, could contain all of the things if we were to write all of those down. Some believe, some believe that the story of the adulterous woman caught, caught in the very act, chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11, some believe that it was a story that was passed down by oral tradition. And that happens, and we find reasons for oral tradition sometimes being Scripture in the Old Testament. How else would we have the story of creation if it wasn't passed down from oral tradition? Some believe it was oral tradition, and at some point in history they think that a scribe included it in the text. And that's why there's a question mark about it, and that's why it's found sometimes in John chapter 7 and 8, and sometimes in other places. Um, that's one of the, the uh, things that's presented. I'm reminded of one of my Bible college professors who spoke of the reason why we have footnotes and text comparison notes in the margins of our Bibles. Scriptures and translations and translators have been very careful that they don't want to leave anything out or alter any of the text. This can, this can and should motivate you and I when we seek to understand God's Word to seek to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Nothing in this text or any other text that's considered questionable, and Mark chapter 16 is one, and occasionally you'll find a verse or a phrase, in a, a word or a phrase in a verse. Nothing alters anything of doctrinal position that we hold or changes anything about Jesus or changes anything about scriptural teachings. Do I think this story actually happened? Yes, I do. Um, do I think it's supposed to be here? I don't know. Um, I, I wasn't there. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I didn't inspire Scripture, but for sure, Jesus' um, things that he did were passed on by oral tradition. But it is here, and so I want us to talk about it, and it especially fits for our particular theme of people who were desperate for God. Um, this woman was openly caught in sin. She was shamed. She was desperate. 
And we're going to see other individuals with different sin problems equally desperate for um, difficult reasons. So the situation that we just read, Jesus is teaching those around him in the temple. The scribes and the Pharisees bring in a woman caught in adultery. She's not called a harlot. She wasn't there um, because that's how she made her living. Uh, Their accusation against her was not harlotry. Um, This isn't how she made money. Hers is an accusation of violating God's law by loose, moral, sinful living. She was caught in the very act of adultery. Their focus was to test Jesus, that they might have something of which to accuse him. They didn't care about the woman. Um, Their concern was, how can we trip up Jesus? They had bigger issues that were on the table. Jesus is and has become a real problem for us as the religious leaders. In John chapter 5, they had already sought to kill him. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. They must have thought, if we can discredit him in public then the people will quit following him and heeding his word. And so that's why they did this publicly. Um, He was in the temple. uh, He was teaching the people. They brought this woman caught in the very act of adultery. In Leviticus chapter 20, we're not going to read them. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22 through 24, they speak of this woman's sin and the call for stoning her. Okay, It was stated that it was for the purpose of putting away evil in Israel. Now just fast forward to 2023 and look at America and all of the moral challenges that we have that are completely contrary to God's word. If it was to, it was, if it was to displace evil in Israel, where does that put us as a nation? Where does that put us as a people? But isn't it interesting that they didn't bring the man also? He isn't any less guilty than she is, but they brought her. I find that very interesting. They wanted to discredit Jesus so much that they went out of their way to catch this woman in the act of adultery. Think about that. They went out of their way to catch this woman in the act of adultery. They knew who she was. They knew what she did, either when it happened or they just laid in wait following her so that they could catch her in the act of adultery. It doesn't say they just caught her in the act of adultery, so it could have happened days before or weeks before, um, but she was caught in the very act of adultery. Upon hearing their accusation, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, it says, as though he did not hear. Would it be interesting to know what he wrote in the sand? Um, just Just to see what was inside of his mind. Verse 7 Verse 7 says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said. So they weren't going to let Jesus ignore this woman who was caught in the act of adultery because they wanted to know how they could pit him against the law of Moses and therefore gain, uh, gain standing in the, in, the, in the eyes of the people. They continued asking, Hey Jesus, what are you going to do about this one? Hey, Jesus, Moses says we're supposed to do this. You say you're the son of God. What are you going to say about this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? They wouldn't let him go on that. He raised himself up and he said to them in wisdom, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Who among us here at this church would be able to throw a stone at this woman? Nobody. Nobody. Because all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. You want a stoner? That's fine. The law did call for that. How about anyone who hasn't sinned, you be the first one to cast the stone at her. Jesus didn't address them about her, which was their question. He addressed them about themselves. That's where he took it, to their heart. And his response of he who is without sin casts the first stone took, their, took them from their self-imposed high level of morality and righteousness. They weren't that, but it was self-imposed. Took them from their self-imposed high level of morality and righteousness down to her level of being a breaker of the law of Moses. Like every single one of us that are in this place this morning. After all, they had already looked for an opportunity to murder Jesus, which was worse, being caught in the act of adultery or trying to murder somebody. And he knew that. He knew what was in their heart. Did Jesus minimize the law of Moses here? No, actually, he's going to use it for the standard of sin when he says to this woman, go and sin no more. So he doesn't minimize the law of Moses. What he does is address the real issue that's on the table, and that's the heart condition of the Pharisees. The seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. Leviticus and Deuteronomy both address the violators. Jesus isn't minimizing uh, adultery or sexual sin. Don't think that. It isn't just a tip your hat type of a thing. It's sin before holy God. He wasn't dismissing the law as unimportant. Rather, he was going to the heart of the Pharisees' issue. The law does many things. It shows us God's righteousness. It shows us man's sinfulness, every man's sinfulness, from the most religious to the most scoundrel, if we want to call it that. It showed the Pharisees their self-righteousness as well. He's not saying, it's okay, woman, go ahead and continue in your adultery. What he's saying is, hey, Pharisees, you're no better than this woman. And woe be to us if we look around this congregation or our world and think that we're better than somebody because we all find ourselves as breakers of the law. You too, to the Pharisees, he was saying, have broken the law. Do you remember what James taught us just a few months ago? James chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. I wonder if James had this situation in mind when he wrote this. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. That's what's on the table in John chapter 7, John chapter 5. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you haven't honored your parents, you've broken the law and you're just as much of a lawbreaker as someone who, who takes the Lord's name in vain. If you take the Lord's name in vain, but you've never murdered anybody, you're just as much of a lawbreaker as someone who's murdered someone. They're dealt with individually, and they're also dealt with as a whole, is what James shows us. Jesus was extending mercy to this woman, shamefully caught in adultery. He was also reminding the scribes and the Pharisees that they too would pass through judgment. 
Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says. What the law could not do, the law, of Mo- the perfect holy law of Moses, which was from God, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, because of my human flesh, because of her human flesh, because of the Pharisees' human flesh, because of the people that we don't agree with politically or morally in our society, because of their human flesh, the law can't do anything for them. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, it was, it was and continues to be holy, but because of the weakness of sinful flesh, it was limited, not able to accomplish the task of bringing righteousness to mankind, but it shows me who I am. And when I look into the mirror, I see Jerry aging day by day, little by little. When I look into the mirror and I consider the law of Moses, I see myself as one who's broken the law of Moses and it drives me to look for help. And the only one that can help me is Jesus. What they were looking for for their help was their religiosity. They were the ones who went to church like we do every Sabbath. We go on Sunday. So we've got to be very careful and allow God to search our hearts. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And these Pharisees and these scribes were setting their their sights and their hearts on the law of Moses. Do the law. Must obey the law. Let's create laws of our own that that help us fulfill the law that God gave us. Rather than living in the liberty and the freedom of the Spirit, which doesn't mean just go ahead and keep committing adultery. That's not what it's saying. But it it takes the motivation to I'm Spirit-led rather than I'm flesh-led. Galatians 2 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, what does it say? No flesh shall be justified. Now back in John, again Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, and then those who heard it, he, the it was though he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And so when Jesus responded, they realized, you know, this trick, this test that we had to try and trip him up and pit him against Moses so that the people would see us as superior to this Jesus, it backfired. And he turned it on them, and they realized... I've broken the law as well. And in earthly wisdom, I don't think it was godly wisdom with these guys, but in earthly wisdom, the oldest first, and then all the way down to the youngest, they just kind of disappeared. They came as a group, kind of a, a mob gang mentality. They left individually, one by one, because they were convicted by their own conscience of the way that they had broken God's law. Maybe they hadn't committed adultery, but they'd stolen Maybe they hadn't stolen, but they'd not honored God all the time. Maybe they'd taken his name in vain. Um, The oldest first, maybe showing a little bit of earthly wisdom all the way down to the youngest. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, 
Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He isn't saying it's a small thing that you've done. He acknowledges that what she had done was sin. And he says, Go and sin no more. He didn't say, Hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. He didn't say, Everyone else is doing it. You'll be okay. He didn't say, You can see it on TikTok or Snapchat and everybody else is right in that alley, and so you can be influenced by them, and my mercy and my grace are big enough for that. He didn't just say sexual and sensual times are here. That's what we're living in. It's no biggie. He said go and sin no more. So he acknowledged what she had done. She did as well, I think, in the words, no, Lord, in that simple thing. He knew her heart. Go and sin no more. I want us to hear and be reminded, and I know we know it, but it's good to hear it again. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. And it doesn't matter that Hollywood is promoting it or that Washington is promoting it or that my neighbors are or the people that I go to school with or the people that I work Sin is a big deal. The wages of sin is what? Death. Separation from God because of this harlotry. It's not harlotry because of this adultery. Separation from God because I steal something that isn't mine to take. Separation from God because I use his name in vain. It's a big deal. And I wonder if sometimes we're so gospel-oriented that we lighten the price of sin. The wages of sin was, is, and will be death. And Jesus told her, go and sin no more. Jesus, Jesus is, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pause on the wages of sin is death before you get to the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a big deal. Jesus' words take us back to John 3, verse 17, after probably the most known verse in the Bible. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There is a future when Jesus will judge. But at this particular time, He wasn't judging. Um, He was extending mercy to this woman. There is a time when Jesus will judge. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. That's for those that are believers, for the deeds done in the body. Bema seat is what it's referred to. Matthew chapter 25 speaks of the judgment of the Son of God dividing the sheep and goats. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of Him who sat on the great white throne judging as well. But today is a day of mercy. July 2023, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you know about him, but you wonder if or you know you don't have a relationship with him, it's a day of mercy. And, and, and if you've never believed, you don't have to wait to the end of a service. Believe right now. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It's critical. Today's a day of mercy. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, The woman caught in adultery is a good example of someone who was desperate for God. 
These guys laid in wait, wanting to catch her so that they could trip Jesus up. She needed his mercy. She needed his forgiveness because of her sinful condition. She is obviously not the only sinful person in the New Testament needing forgiveness because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans chapter 3. They're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Jesus' salvation, becoming part of His family, is a very narrow path, broad and wide, and many there be that go other than. Jesus' path is a very narrow path. Let me just highlight a few others that were sinful, that were desperate for God in the New Testament. And maybe you can identify with Nicodemus being desperate for God because you've gone to church all of your life and at some point you realize you needed to be born again or you might realize that now. Or maybe you can identify with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who because of their testimony for God were persecuted even almost unto death. Or maybe you've got some physical ailment and you can identify with Hannah who couldn't have a baby and God miraculously enabled her to do that and maybe he will you and maybe he won't take away whatever your physical ailment is, but it makes you desperate for God. Well, maybe the consideration of this woman who was caught in adultery who needed to go and sin no more and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ or some of the others that we're going to talk about will help you identify with them and you need to call upon the name of the Lord. Today would be the day to call upon the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 7, it speaks of the woman who was forgiven. We're not going to just hit woman. We're going to hit some men as well, all right? In Luke chapter 7, it speaks of the woman who was forgiven much because she loved much. She was desperate. Let me just read a few of those verses. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And to Simon, the house owner, the Pharisee, he said, Did you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman's anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's what every one of us needs today. We're all desperate for God equally in that situation. And some of us have already called upon the name of the Lord. You know my story, and I tell it from time to time. And, and I hope you have a story that you've called upon the name of the Lord. But if you haven't, it's absolutely necessary. And being a pharisaical religious person who goes to church all the time does nothing but really create a self-righteousness, which is the very thing that we don't want because God resists the proud. Zacchaeus was desperate, chapter 19 of Luke. We're not going to read a lot there. He looked up, he, was, he wanted to see the Lord, so he climbed a sycamore tree. Maybe you learned the song. Jesus passed that way, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I'm going to stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they, the group of people all around it, saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to, the, he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. They knew Zacchaeus for who he was. Zacchaeus knew himself for who he was. Jesus knew him for who he was as well. He was a tax collector. And, and, 
kind of similar to Eastern Jackson County, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> Do not go there, Jimmy. <clears throat> they would steal people's money, and that's why they weren't liked. And also, they worked for Rome, who had, who had uh, authority over the Jews, and that was another reason that they didn't like him. Zacchaeus stood and said to him, Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And so he recognized, I'm desperate for God, and this is my opportunity to follow Jesus. And you know what? I don't know if I have tomorrow, and you don't know if you have tomorrow. Matthew, as well, was a tax collector, the one who wrote the gospel that bears his name, wrote it to the Jews, 28 chapters. At verse, uh, he had a, a dinner for Jesus. It tells us that in Luke. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, Luke 5, if you wanted to see that, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciple, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? He can't go any lower than eating with these tax collectors and sinners. It's because that's who Jesus came for. The people who are self-righteous don't need someone to make them righteous. They don't even know they have a need. But the people that are broken because of the law of God, that recognize I have no hope without the goodness and grace and mercy of God, I'm desperate for Him. That's who He came for. When Jesus heard that, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And if you find yourself a sinner before holy God today, God is calling us to repentance. And many of us have responded already. And if you haven't, today would be the day to respond. Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I give you everything I am. I repent and I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. He was desperate for God just didn't realize it until God got his attention. 1 Timothy chapter 1 says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief because he persecuted the very people of God. He would drag people out of their homes for, for God because they were followers of Jesus. He recognized he was desperate. It just took some getting attention of his attention. The thief on the cross was desperate. Matthew chapter 27 says, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. They had broken the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. <clears throat> one of them mocked him, the other rebuked him. The one mocking him said, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a pretty short sinner's prayer that doesn't meet our expectations. But it must have been heartfelt because Jesus turned to him and said, truly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. He was desperate for God. There was nothing he could do. There wasn't even any religious offering he could offer. It was just here I am. You're my only hope. And that's what Jesus wanted. I am your only hope. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is focused mercy after being beaten and nailed on a cross. And he's still speaking to the heart of people who need him. We could talk about other New Testament individuals who were desperate for God's mercy. 
hopefully these have reminded you and I how desperate we are. And if you already know him, we've, ex- we've exchanged our sin for his righteousness. Or how desperate you are if you've yet to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close in this way. Each of us needs to be very careful that we don't have the heart attitude of the Pharisees in the parable that Jesus told about two men who went up to the temple to pray. And I want to read that. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and you can almost see his chest kind of starting to puff out a little bit. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And in the church and in our world, we need to be very, very careful that we don't look down our nose and think, look how much better I am than someone else because they don't meet my moral standard." Or they don't do the things that I do in service for God. We have to be very, very careful. Because the next thing you know, we find ourselves standing in the shoes of the Pharisee who was saying, look at what I do, but didn't go to his house justified. So let's be very careful. This adulterous woman has a lot to teach us. And we can use that story even in light of the questionability uh, of that passage. Um, It's there, so we're dealing with it, but it fits very well. Um, There were many others that were declared sinners before holy God. All have sinned. And and let that motivate us to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's bow and pray together. Father, we bow before you. I pray for us this morning that we would be very, very careful to not think of ourselves as more than what we ought, but to recognize that before you, we need Jesus. We need a Savior because we've broken your law. And maybe we think one area of breaking your law is less significant than the other. Remind us of your word through James to us that if we break it, we break it. And the wages of sin is death. So I pray that... we could learn from this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery or Zacchaeus or Paul or the thief on the cross that we need the mercy of God applied to our hearts and lives, repentance and believing and following the Lord Jesus. And Father, if you're working in someone's heart here this morning, I pray that they would respond exactly how you desire them to respond. Whether it's a believer who is getting synchronized spiritually, stepping back up into being spirit-filled and influenced and obedient and humble to you, or someone who doesn't know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that they might call upon your name and be saved. And we ask that you would work in our midst and in our hearts as we sing this last song, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to mention this morning that the altar here is always open. I know it doesn't look like much of an altar, and especially these days with all the space stuff. 
But sometimes God deals with us, and we should take care of it, and we can tell, and we know on our own. And we pray, and we cry out to Him, and we confess, and we humble ourselves before God, and He works because He's drawing us to Himself more maturity in Christ. There are other times, like with Hannah, that He wants to deal with us here. And if it's here that He wants to deal with you, don't worry about what other people might think because you're coming to the altar and kneeling on a step and praying to the Lord. If God is dealing with you, be, be thankful and grateful that he's dealing with you and be obedient and submissive to whatever it is he wants you to do.